What's up with my life? We've been looking at this. We started it last week. If you missed it, you can find it on the website and get caught up. Um, but this morning, I want us to look at, uh, ask ourselves a question. When I'm saying what's up with my life, I'm using the word up to describe uh, that which is spiritual, that which is eternal. Oftentimes, our, our lives get into turmoil when we begin to focus on what's going on down here rather than having a heavenly or divine vision for our life. And last week, you may remember, we talked about looking up, uh, realizing that this world never satisfies. This world will never bring contentment. It was never intended to bring satisfaction. Only a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ brings uh, eternal satisfaction and contentment to our life. But just as last week we looked about looking up, this morning I want us to ask the question, am I reaching up? Am I living my life with divine dependence? Am I living my life in such a way that I know and I trust and I look for God in my life to provide and to continue to work out His perfect will in my life? There's you don't need me to spend a lot of time this morning speaking to you about how worry and anxiety uh, robs a lot of people of the fullness of life that Christ wants to give them. And, and we speak about worry, and, and this morning I'm working hard to not simply take those of you that may be struggling with worry or anxiety and throw and, and just stand up here and say, hey, stop worrying. I mean, that's a whole lot like a guy falling out of a boat and you just telling him to swim, you know? I mean, instead of providing him a lifesaver. So this morning, it's not, this is not my attempt to just say, hey, the Bible says don't worry, so stop. This morning, we are going to be proclaiming the truth about why not to worry. Well, why are we called not to worry? And with that, I'm hoping that we might be able to throw out some life preservers from the Word of God to help those who are struggling in that sea of anxiety and worry. You know, when I'm talking about what's up with my life and we're looking at the fact of looking up and reaching up and we're speaking about worry and anxiety, I want you to know that believers are not exempt. Believers in Christ are not exempt from being a part of and adopting a mind of worry and anxiety. The, we learned something funny about worry, about concern and anxiety, worldly concern. It is both a cause and an effect you think about it worry is both a cause and an effect and because it is a cause and an effect we realize in our lives many some may be able to say in your heart that you've spiraled downward in worry it just kept growing and growing and growing and that's because worry is what it's how it starts and worry makes it grow jesus this morning i have to set this straight jesus this morning is not speaking about living a life of carelessness and irresponsibility. And I really have to be able to throw that out there because when we're talking about these Scriptures, it is easy, as we look in Matthew chapter 6 this morning, it's easy maybe for us to get this idea that, well, Jesus said, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about these things. So we're just going to sit back and live an irresponsible, careless life and just trust that everything's going to happen. And that, is, that does not match up with the truth of the Word of God. That does not line up with Jesus' teachings even in our text this morning. So I don't want you to think when I'm saying don't worry that it's simply a life of carelessness. That's not it at all. In fact, I want you to show you the first thing this morning is that there are positive concerns in our life. The Bible says that there are some things that we are allowed to be concerned about. Now, why is this important? 
Some of you may say this morning, well, pastor, what's the difference between concern, worry, and anxiety? Concern that we're speaking of this morning, these four things that the Bible mentions that we can be concerned about, those four things all produce a positive God-honoring action. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the apostle said that, that those that are married are concerned for their wives, how they may please them. He goes on to say that concern for others is going to produce an act of love. Concern for missions is going to require us to be involved in some part in what God is doing in the world. Concern for our own soul is going to bring about a positive, God-honoring direction of repentance or redemption. So it's okay to be concerned, at least for what the Bible says in regards to these things. Concerns, biblical concerns, as we see this morning, are rooted in the Word of God, and in faith in God. It is showing a legitimate concern for something, but not the existence of worry. Concern, godly biblical concern, is an action, again, that is rooted in the foundation of God's Word and produces a positive, God-honoring response. I get concerned for my children. I watch the news. I get concerned for the world that they're going to grow up in. But I'm not worried about it. I know that God is in control. I know that, that we are striving in our lives to prepare them for that world. And my wife and I are regularly praying for our children. So yes, I'm concerned in that I know there are things that could happen out there. But it is increasing my positive God-honoring action. Worry is faithless. Worry is not rooted in a truth of God's Word. Worry is void of those promises. Worry is when we are taking it all on ourselves. Concern is the action. Those biblical concerns are actions that we are motivated for God-honoring action for His glory. Concern for our spouse, concern for others, concern for churches and missions, Concern for our soul. There are people who say, well, God told me not to worry and I'm not worried. And there are some who may not care about their soul. They may not care about their spouse. They may not care about missions. And they may not care about others. These are four examples of biblical, godly concern. Not worry. Concern. I want you to look with me in verse 25. I want to read verse 25 through 34. The apostle says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit or one foot to his height? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles, or unbelievers, seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have a need of all these things. But, seek first 
the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let me stop there. Four things we are allowed to have a godly concern about and care for, but there are several things mentioned here that we are prohibited as believers, prohibited from worrying about, from being anxious about. Look at what these four are. The first is our life. Now, this word life is interesting. It's the same root word that we get psyche from, which is where we get psychiatrists, psychologists, psycho. I mean, those are all uh, the same words. You can uh, ascribe whichever one best fits your life. But the word psyche really speaks about the whole person, the entire person. So when Jesus is speaking about your life, don't worry about your life. He's not just speaking about our physical health. That's just one part of the overall peace that Jesus is speaking of. Jesus is saying, don't worry about one facet of your being. Don't worry about your health. Don't worry about anything that has to do with your body right now. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Don't worry about your life. How many people this morning, and don't raise your hands, just consider this question. How many people in this congregation, I wonder this morning, would have a life of peace if it were just the ability, if they were just given the ability to not worry about your life? Not worry about your life. This one fits pretty well for us this morning. Don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink. How many of you missed breakfast this morning? Go ahead and raise your hands. Don't worry about what you will eat or drink. Bree will tell you, my body runs on a clock. And that clock's not a mental clock not a clock in my heart it is a big digital clock right on my belly if i get hunger anger i'm not pleasant to be around if i'm hungry more than more than one time things have been tense in our office and jason reminded me that there are goldfish down in the nursery it's sorry about that i did take some food from the mouths of your children don't worry about your life and don't worry about what you'll eat or drink. How, how Jesus is really now hitting the very core of who we are. He's saying don't worry about your life and don't even worry about where your next meal is going to come from. Don't worry about where your next drink is going to come from. That is awesome to consider. Do not be anxious about it. Don't let it flood your mind. Don't allow that thought of what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink fill your mind notice this third one he says don't worry about your clothing what you will wear notice Jesus now is not dealing with a very core basic human need of food and water he's now dealing with our clothing remember this Jesus isn't saying don't worry about if you're going to have clothes to wear he's saying don't worry what you will wear Not even a matter of if. There are people in the world that are worrying about if they're even going to have clothes. And Jesus has stepped it up now and said, it's not even about if clothes. That's something definitely not to worry about. But definitely don't worry about what you're going to wear. 
it's almost seeming like he may, Jesus may have been sitting right outside of my house. And there's a fourth thing we're not to worry about. It's in verse 34. This one gets a lot of people, guys. Not just life, not just food, not just clothes, but this one gets a lot of people. And right now, there are a lot of people who are worried about this one word, and that's tomorrow. There are a lot of people who are anxious, who are nervous. They don't know what's going to happen, and there are many people who are experiencing great anxiety because they do not know what tomorrow holds. And let me repeat this good old bumper sticker. I do not know what tomorrow holds, but I do know who holds tomorrow. It was true then, it is true now, and it will be true forevermore. Jesus said, yeah, do not worry about your life, your clothing, your food, and tomorrow. Isn't this funny? Jesus said, be concerned for others. Be concerned for, or the word says, you can be concerned for others. You can be concerned for your spouse. You can be concerned for missions. And you can be concerned for your soul. Don't be concerned about food, water, clothes, and tomorrow. Isn't it funny that oftentimes we get those backwards? We can find a lot of people that we switch those and we start worrying about food and and clothing and what we're going to wear and our life and give no or little thought to our spouse or others or the work of God through the local church and missions and our own soul. Do not get those backwards, brothers and sisters. Do not allow those to be switched. Allow yourself to have a positive God-honoring concern in those areas, but do not allow faithlessness and anxiety to rob you in those four areas especially of what God has promised in a full life. Now it would be great if I could just stop right there. But you know the great thing about Jesus is as He came to the earth clothed in human flesh knowing exactly who He was going to speak to, He knew, I believe, that it was not simply enough for Him to say, don't do this. It worked really well with the Ten Commandments, didn't it? It's not just enough to say, don't do this, but Christ gave us the reasons why. Why not worry? It's so normal. It's so natural. Everybody's doing it. Why can't I worry about my food? That's a basic need. Why can't I worry about my life? It seems like I should. Why can't I worry about tomorrow? There's so much that's scary out there. Why can't I? Let me give you six reasons. Six reasons why Christ says not to worry. Look at verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Notice why he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Isn't life more than food and clothing? The first reason I'm given to not worry is because I'm worrying and I'm using my body and my resources and I'm robbing myself of this joy for something that is truly not of any value or of very little value. If I'm going to be concerned, be concerned for my spouse. If I'm going to be concerned, be concerned for someone else. If I'm going to be concerned, be concerned for the mission of God. If I'm going to be concerned, be concerned that my soul is right with God. Don't worry about these other things. They rob you. Do you remember me saying last week, this world never satisfies. 
Never. It doesn't matter if you have riches or wealth or a name or fame. It doesn't matter. This world does not satisfy. It was never intended to. And we're worrying about those things that we're never going to have enough of, first of all, and is never going to be able to bring satisfaction. Be concerned for that which is outside of ourselves rather than that which has us at the heart. That's a basic fundamental truth of our Christian faith. Jesus, others, then ourselves. Notice the second reason in verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Look at the birds. What a great example Jesus gives. To teach us about God's faithfulness, he turns to the insignificant bird, whom Jesus has already said in the Sermon on the Mount that we are worth more than many sparrows. And Jesus now is saying to the, his listeners, you're worried about food, but do you realize that these birds don't worry? These birds get out early in the morning. You know the saying, the early bird gets the worm. Today, early birds around my house have been looking for worms for a long time and have seen none. The rain, that was a joke. The bird uses its skill and insight. I want to share a little quote with you. I wrote it down in my margins. It says, No man doing his duty in the station to which God has called him. No man doing his duty in the station to which God has called him will ever be allowed to suffer poverty. No man who is doing his duty in the station to which God has called him will ever be allowed to suffer poverty. The quote was by a man named J.C. Ryle in his commentary on the book of Matthew. Just like that bird can only be a bird and it's doing what it has been instinctively and what it is called to do, what its place in life is, and as it's doing it, it always finds food enough. It uses ability an instinct in order to be fed. Notice the third reason. Oh, by the way, that reason is we have value to God. Jesus is saying, if you see the bird and I take care of them, you ought to know as the pinnacle of my creation, as the reason my son came to the earth, as the value that you have to me, know that I'm going to take care of you. Know it. That's what Jesus said. You are valuable. Don't you love to hear that you're valuable to God? Amen. Notice the third reason. Verse 27. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? You can't change it. That's one of the problems with what we worry about, especially in these, these earthly things, is that there's very little control we have over it. And, and what Jesus is saying here is, if you can't even by worrying control your life and control your height and add another inch to your body, then how in the world, well, what good is worrying? And this is the third reason. It's futile. It accomplishes no good thing. Originally in my notes I wrote it accomplishes nothing, but then I realized I had to retract that. I had to take that for saying out because you know what? Worry does accomplish stuff. It accomplishes health concerns. It accomplishes emotional concerns. It can tear down relationships. It can hinder you spiritually. Yeah, worry can do a lot of things. But not any that are good. Jesus is saying, why are you worrying? You have no control over those things to begin with. 
Notice verse 30. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? There's more to life than this. We have value to God. It does nothing positive. And here's reason number four why we're not to worry. And that is the fact that God can be trusted. God can be trusted. Guys, this is. Verse 30 really lies at the heart, at the heart of why we're not supposed to be riddled with anxiety. And that's because God can be trusted. In Psalm 37, David said, I once was young and am now old, and I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And you may say, well, that came from a king. Let me remind you, that came from a king that spent the first bit of his life out in the fields as a shepherd. Those words came from the mouth of a king who had been in refuge, hiding from his son who wanted to kill him. This came from a man who had found himself living and dwelling in caves at times because men wanted him to be killed because they were jealous of his godliness. So when he says, I was once young and am now old, and I've never seen God cast off the righteous, I've never seen the righteous' children ever have to beg for bread, you can know that that man knows what he's talking about. He had seen a lot of life. And beyond seeing a lot of life, he had seen a lot of faithfulness from God. Trust God. Core fundamental element of our Christian faith. Trust God. If I can trust God to save my invisible soul by an action that He did 2,000 years ago in a place I've never been, to take me to a place that I can't find on Google Maps. If I can trust Him to do all of that, that I can't see, then it shouldn't be too hard for me to trust Him with that which I can see. It comes down to faith. Jesus said, I clothe the grass, I rip it up, I bring it, I take it. I pull it down, I bring it back up. And if I can do all of this, Jesus says, in giving it and taking it away, in providing for it and making the lily and feeding the bird, if I can do all of those things millions of times over a day, then what makes you think that you who have incredible value to me, more than any sparrow, more than any lily, more than any grass, what is up with us thinking that God would not take care of us? Remember, faith is never an inaction. It is always an action. It is always a response to the promises of God. It always moves us forward. Verse number 32. Here's reason number five. We're to trust God. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. Jesus is saying when you're walking around worrying about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. When you're walking around like that, you're looking like people who do not have a relationship with God. You are looking, especially when he's speaking about Gentiles, let me put it the way Jesus was putting it. 
when we walk around worrying over the things of this world, we are looking like a person who does not have a covenant relationship with God. We are looking like people who do not know Him. Many of you have been challenged. Not just from men and women of the Word of God who trusted Him when all else said not to. Instead of taking matters into their own hands and worrying and fretting, they trusted God. You've read Hebrews 11. You know about those heroes of faith who trusted God above all else and it brought a great action and response from their life. You've heard men and women throughout church history who put their faith and trust in God to provide when it never looked like it was going to happen. And maybe some of you have also been challenged by your friends or family members or, or acquaintances that you've heard of that even when it looked like nothing, no one was there to help, they continued to trust God and God came through. It is impossible. Impossible. For God to be unfaithful. It is impossible for God to be unfaithful. Last one. Second part of verse 32. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. What's reason number six why I don't worry? Because God knows. Let that be the anthem of your heart. Let that this morning If you know Christ as your Savior and you see this morning you've got value, remember this, Jesus said your heavenly Father knows the needs you have. So when I'm hungry, God knows it. When I'm thirsty, God knows it. When when I'm starting to think about tomorrow, God is saying I already know it, I'm already there. I'm already working in tomorrow. You see this morning the the great joy of this is not me simply saying this, is not simply saying, hey, take all this worry and just stop. That's not it. That doesn't do any good to just say stop worrying. What we have to do is to replace it with something. You see, sin doesn't die on its own. It has to be killed. We're told in the New Testament to mortify the deeds of our flesh. It doesn't die. It'll go as long as we feed it. And this morning what I'm saying is don't just stop worrying, replace it with faith in Jesus Christ. We have over 365 promises, I'm told, in the Scriptures to trust God. That's one for every day. And what Jesus is saying is our Heavenly Father knows the needs we have. Do not get lost on those two words. Two most beautiful words to a believer's heart. Heavenly Father. Heavenly means that He is majestic and sovereign and has all resources at His disposal. And Father means I am related to Him. Heavenly Father are the two most wonderful words that a believer can have because I have a relationship with the Creator and He who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and He loves me. And Jesus says twice, twice in our text, your Heavenly Father reminding them, reminding us, reminding me. God knows and is able to do something about it. It's not about emptying ourselves of worry. It's about replacing that worry and anxiety that is faithless with a rock-solid faith.
in the simple truth of God's word, you know you care, you love me. You know you care, you love me. Some of you may have heard of the man named George Mueller. Definitely George Mueller was a man who lived every day of his ministry, trusting that God was going to provide. George Mueller in the 1800s, early 1800s, felt God place on his heart a a need for an orphanage in England. For over 60 years, George ministered in that orphanage, ministering to over hundreds of kids. Hundreds of kids passed through that orphanage. And the most remarkable thing, I think, about the life of George Mueller is that he never asked anybody for a dime. Never went to somebody and said, hey, we need, we need uh, 20 pounds, we need 10 pounds, we need 5 pounds in order to get through this week. He believed that God wanted him to do it, he stepped out in faith, did it, and he never saw a moment where God did not provide. I read in his diary, just in preparation for this service, And I read in his diary that on June 22nd, 1838, he was walking out in the garden around the orphanage and things were starting to get tight. He had just met with the matrons and they realized how much food ration they had for each child and George realizing that it was starting to get low and that the money hadn't been coming in, he walked out into the garden around the orphanage and began to pray. And he was calling out to God saying, God, I know that you love me, you love the orphans, you love this work, God, and I've never doubted that you're going to provide for it. And he said, just as he was walking out, pouring his heart out to God, the verse Hebrews 13.8 entered into his head. And Hebrews 13.8 says this, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as he was walking around, he started thinking about that verse, Hebrews 13, 8. And he started saying to himself, God, I know in the past that you've always been faithful and you've always been good. And God, I know in the future you will continue to be good and you will continue to provide. And he said in his heart to God, God, today is all I'm asking for. Today. God, I trust you to meet today's needs. In his diary... He said that one minute after he said, God, I'm trusting you for today. He was handed an envelope from one of the matrons. He opened the envelope and within the envelope was 20 pounds. As he pulled the 20 pounds out, there was also a letter. He opened up the letter and it was from a lady in London and she wrote of what she would want that to go for, which was exactly the needs that they had. But there was one sentence that stuck with him right here. The sentence said this, This is not a large sum, but I believe it will be enough for today. It's not a large sum, but I believe this amount will be sufficient for today. If I can look in the Scriptures, 6,000 years of human history, and I can look at my life and the life of so many others and say, Jesus, I cannot find one record where you've ever been unfaithful. Then the more days, the more years, the more experiences 
should only cause me to trust Him more. What's the solution? Fourth and final thing. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek speaks about focus. Seek speaks about direction. Seeking speaks about effort required. Jesus is saying, you want, you want me to be faithful. I'll be faithful. Live your life the way I designed it. Live your life. Guys, this is not fine print, by the way, that Jesus is sneaking in. This has been in there all the time. Jesus is saying, seek me first. Jesus is saying, lift up and trust that I'm going to do it. I'm going to meet your needs and line up your life. When it says His righteousness, what it means is to live a life that is right with God. If there is sin, if we are living in sin, we should not even have, many of us would not have the heart to ask God to bless us if we are living in a life of sin. God delights in His name being glorified. Now God is sovereign, He can do whatever He wants, but here He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Live righteously. Live right with God. Live a life that honors God. Repent of sin. Turn from sin. Turn to God. Make the decision to do the right thing. That's what God is saying. And all these things, all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you can trust God with everything?